Hello everyone, and welcome back to an old guy who knows shit. Slew Dog here with another story from life. This is episode 14, An Existential Crisis of the Utmost Urgency. Copyright 2020 by L.R. Holtz. I want to share with you a journal entry from my first bout with cancer. This is the day after the first seven-hour infusion of the strongest chemotherapy they give, with a special new drug added for my special cancer. I think it is best, rather than try to work from memory, to just get inside my head in the moment it was happening. So think of me as speaking to you on July 2nd, 2015, one day after my first all-day infusion. I start off talking about when I first knew what was really going down. It was that weekend of June 18th, 19th, and 20th, Saturday afternoon, driving back from a family gathering, feeling this thing exploding into my forehead. I'm driving through rolling hills of open farmland, nothing to do but listen to what's going on in my eye socket and forehead. I watch the waves of sensation emanating from the cancer. This low-level buzzing pain keeps moving out into my eye socket, up into my brow, up into my forehead, swirling back into a center point right where my eye socket meets my sinus and then sending more waves out from there. Not intense yet, but enough. They come in sets of four to six. I realize I never felt anything like this before. And as I listen and watch, each set is a little more intense than the set before. And each is led, I kid you not, in my inner vision of what I am listening to and watching, each wave is led by a demonic cowboy riding some kind of horse-like monster. And he's whooping, and he's hollering, and he's swinging his lasso high and then around. And every time it swings around, it gathers up more of me and obliterates it. Then the next wave is just a little bit more painful, even as I watch it roll in, another even more demonic cowboy at its point. And then I realize that, wait, this is familiar, and a cosmic memory rises up from the depth. This is a moment I have felt before, the moment when you know you are going to die. That moment of knowing, oh shit, whatever this is, it's going to kill me and it's probably going to hurt a lot. I realized that I had been stung by a very nasty cosmic wasp. And not only could I feel it growing, it was talking to me. It was whooping and hollering and riding wild and wreaking massive destruction. Without intervention, at that rate of growth and degree of pain acceleration, I would be dying in screaming agony in a matter of weeks. I could suddenly see it laid out quite clearly before me. This is what is going to happen. And there is nothing I alone can do about it. I recognize that at some core level. 
Those waves of sensation that aren't real pain yet, but can do nothing else but become worse and worse agony until they kill you. I felt this profound knowledge that at this rate, without intervention, I was gone in weeks, and it was going to hurt a lot. It rang that bell of familiarity, something that has happened many times. It rang with my dream story and brought back all those deaths. And I remembered this moment. This was the moment in this life when I knew I'm going to die. Except that this time around, I don't have to. It's like in my deeper memory that includes all of my existence, there are probably thousands of lives. We probably all have thousands of lives, all of which we remember and know on some level. And every one of those lives has had a death we remember and know. And there's always a moment when you realize, oh shit, this is it, I'm going down. And for probably all of those thousands of lives, well, at least 99.9% .9 of them, there was nothing we could do about it. We had that moment of realization and then had no choice but to ride it out to its inevitable end and hope it wouldn't hurt too much. But then, of course, it almost always did, and that, of course, was part of that challenge that we had created for ourselves in this world to try to get better the next time around, or, you know, something like that. But now, at this moment, I'm looking at it from the very edge. Still on the physical side, but right on the precipice. I can't quite see what's over the edge yet, just fog. But that flash, that realization with absolute certainty that this was going to happen, and without intervention, I was going down, that came out of those foggy depths. But this time, this one time out of how many behind, this time, I get a reprieve of some sort. We have a weapon to stop the monster. Then it suddenly becomes an epic battle for my own life, being fought on a cellular level inside my body, inside my eye socket and forehead in my case. This drug, you see, this drug specifically kills dividing cells. And my tissue pathology revealed that 80% of my cancer cells were dividing at any given point in time. 80%. And uh, that was when science confirmed my inner knowledge driving back from that family gathering that if 80% of the cells are dividing at the same time and of those another 80% generationally down the line, that is some freaking fast growth. I had felt it. It would have killed me quickly. It would have hurt a lot, but it would not have lasted long because it was already only a few centimeters from my brain. Just like that. Zap! Pew! A cosmic wasp sting and I'm gone. And that's really what it seems like. Almost like there's this cosmic wasp that, that, is, that is deeply powerful, destructive energy, and it's scattered everywhere in the form of pollutants and chemicals, pesticides, herbicides, radon. Of course, radon isn't the robber baron's fault. It's where the wasp lives in nature. But their pollutants and careless treatment of the earth have allowed the wasp to multiply a hundredfold. And when it reaches across the barrier from energy to form, it always brings death. But the Compassion, Love, and Beauty team has weapons, and science is one of them. And with science, for possibly the first time in thousands of lives, I heard that voice that said, this is it, chum, you are going down, and I could say, fuck you, not fucking yet. So now the battle has commenced.
What is happening inside my head does not even remotely qualify as a headache because it ain't no headache. This is a fucking epic war movie. This seething energy is moving all around. It's like I can feel the battle happening, swirling inside my forehead. Imagining the drugs seeking out the cells that are dividing and then killing them. Well, it's very dramatic. It's a fucking comic book superhero movie. Only it's real and it's going on in my forehead. The drug is the superhero and I see it as a big, powerful dog. <laughs> ruthlessly sniffing out every dividing cell thousands of times a second, and it's like a roar going on that I just can't quite actually hear, but is actually roaring. And I feel the battle moving around in these waves. I just felt one now emanating from that center point that was riding free that drive back. Only now its waves are stopping. They aren't flowing free. It's like they're hitting a rubber wall that flexes but doesn't give. The demonic cowboy isn't hooting and hollering, nor is he swinging his lasso. In fact, he looks like he's trying to escape the dogs of war, but he doesn't get past my eye socket. That drive back? Whoa, he was galloping right up my forehead and just running rampant. Last night, my first night sleeping on the strongest chemo you can get, a storm of exploding energy woke me at 2 a.m., concentrated right behind my eye socket in my forehead, filled my whole head then, swirling and seething. And by 5 a.m., it had broken up into maybe two centers of pressure. By noon, it had broken up into three or four focal points spread out across my forehead. Then the rest of the day, they just kept moving around. Like the battlefield kept moving, the dogs were sniffing them out over here. Then over there. Then a cluster over there. Then, oh, it's so weird. But suddenly it's fun. Killing cancer cells like I would have looked at it when I was 10. Now I'm marginally a grown-up. Okay, okay, I'm an old guy. And thank God I can still see through those 10-year-old eyes, you know what? And, and, and I can still watch the movie in my head of the battle for my life going on in my eye socket and my forehead. And cheer and holler for the good guys and boo and hiss the dividing cancer cells. Yeah, so it's a real battle for my actual life. Well, that doesn't mean it can't be fun. Two days later, another journal entry simply reads... Today the battlefield just feels like a scorched wasteland, like this big splotch of my sinus and eye socket has been acid burned or something. There's nothing but carnage rotting. There is another part of the story that I should add, however, because it is particularly pertinent to the radar story and also to our overall purpose in this podcast. When I first discovered this half-inch finger-sized mass emerging from my eye socket, the first doctor to look at it was a senior teaching fellow at a large university hospital. He felt it with his finger and declared it benign, then had me put in the normal surgery schedule to have it removed. My surgery was scheduled for five weeks away. Now, in the normal course of things with the average patient, you would think that that would be the end of it, right? Right. Well... If that had been the case, I would not be here telling you this story. 
Somehow, on some level, that thing had already been talking to me, and I knew in my heart of hearts that it was serious. The demonic cowboy had not appeared yet. I believe he was still two weeks away at this first diagnosis. But I had been watching Double Vision grow for a couple of weeks. And there was other evidence. I had had an MRI to look at my inner ear a couple of months before. And what if it was there, smaller, so one could actually compare and see how fast it was growing? Well, this doctor claimed to have done that comparison and deemed the rate of growth at one millimeter per week, which was not alarming. Really, I thought. What if it was your eye socket that had a finger growing out of it at, at the rate of one millimeter per week? But I didn't say that. I asked to see the two images to compare them, but no, at that point, I, for whatever reason, they could not show them to me. So I said, okay, like a good patient. But then when the scheduler called me to say, your surgery is in five weeks, I told her this is an emergency. And she said, I'm sorry, sir, the doctor decides that. And I said, do I have any recourse? And she said, no. And I said, no appeal, no second opinion. And she said something to the effect that he was the best in the country, seeming to suggest no second opinion was necessary. So I asked again if I had any recourse at all, and she emphatically said, no. Well, thanks to our magnificent healthcare system, there is no way I could afford to be treated for cancer without insurance, so I have to stay in a system I have just been informed that I have no recourse in. The best doctor in the country just declared me not an emergency, and I, an ignorant, non-medical, untrained patient, felt in my heart of hearts that he was wrong, and that if we waited five weeks, I would die. My belief was enhanced by the doctor's resident, a young medical student who, bless her heart, made a couple of pretty serious newbie mistakes in her wrap-up. First, she had somebody else's assessment, which said the rate was higher, and then said to forget that, that was wrong, go with the first doctor's. Then she confused her millimeters and her centimeters, which she tried to correct, but the end result was that what I got clearly was that there was disagreement on the rate of growth and that somebody else had assessed a much faster rate of growth and he was not going to test it. He was going to go on his finger read. And he was a senior teaching fellow, a person no one ever contradicts. So, without any recourse... I got out my handy-dandy letter writer, and I wrote a letter that I addressed to each of the two doctors, the scheduler, my primary care doctor, and let's just say a couple of people in the top hospital administration, in which I stated my case as clearly as I could, got this finger growing out of my eye. They don't agree on how fast it's growing, but if the fast guess is right, I'll be toast way before we get to five weeks was the essence of my argument. Well, gee, turned out I did have recourse. My primary care doctor came riding in like the cavalry to my rescue. She had no hesitation about believing my gut feeling, regardless of anybody's opinion on the rate of growth. She apparently performed what many said was a literal miracle by getting me in to see 
two ENT oncologists inside the system and one outside the system all in one day on one day's notice. The guys inside the system did not want to contradict the senior fellow, surprise, surprise, but the outside guy made no bones about his belief that it was not only malignant, but likely it was dangerously so, and very possibly an emergency. So, with that evidence to support a possible case for contradiction of senior fellow God, one of the in-house ENTs gave me a drug that would eliminate cancer as a consideration if none was there. It would not prove the existence of cancer, but it would then justify a biopsy. Long story short, a very long week later, that doctor stuck a needle into the finger growing out of my eye, and in the single most painful experience of my life, withdrew the incriminating fluids containing not only cancer, but a form of cancer in which 80% of the cells are dividing at any given moment in time. As opposed, he said, to breast cancer or lung cancer, where you would expect 5% of cells to be dividing at any one time. 80%. So anyway, as I pointed out before, I was not crazy. My inner knowledge that without intervention, this thing would kill me in weeks was confirmed by science. That night that I drove back from the family gathering after I had spent hours while I drove watching the demonic cowboys wreak such havoc, I sent a message to the doctor's secretary. It was two lines. I can feel that this is an existential crisis of the utmost urgency. I hope we can get started on Monday. An existential crisis of the utmost urgency. How did I know that before when the senior teaching fellow told me and the world otherwise? Well, I think I knew that because I started paying attention to the world and to what it had to tell me and to my inner voices and what they had to tell me when I was roughly 14. Over the years, I have learned what deserves attention. 50 years later, it saved my life. Is that supernatural? Well, it probably is on the scientific level where you see only anecdotal evidence of a phenomenon that cannot be replicated in the laboratory, nor do we even have a scientific category it might fit in. Scientifically, this is all definitely supernatural. On the other hand, folks, I would argue that, yes, in this physical world, it is supernatural, but it is not outside of the order of the natural world we inhabit, which includes a non-physical world. These things defy science and the senses, but are part of a natural order of things that we are only a tiny piece of. Extraordinary as these things are to us, they are part of a much bigger whole, just like we are part of that bigger whole. The non-physical world and the physical world are flip sides of the same whole, all of it part of a natural order where energy interacts with biology and where the matter of thought is a whole other level of nature. One of many levels of nature, all interacting with each other, all part of a greater oneness 
that continually cycles through destruction and then construction throughout the universe from star formations to spider webs. But on the physical earth, you and me here in our homes and yards and parks, we can tap into our inner non-physical, spiritual level, if you want to call it that, that level where we listen to our worlds and our bodies with our entire being, honestly and sincerely, without an outsider telling us what to think, and not just with our senses. On that level, we do have the ability to hear what is not loud, to see what is not shown, to feel what is not clearly evident, to sense truth, and to act on that truth with compassion. This old guy who knows shit is taking a break right now to make some music. Maybe you'll hear some of it. But I wanted to make these supernatural stories all of a piece. And now I find myself wrapping that piece up. Thank you very much for listening. And do something to support the Compassion, Love, and Beauty team every day. This is an old guy who knows shit. Signing off till next time.